Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Jeff Grammer, and this is the 11th edition now of the Talking Grammar podcast. I am your host, Jeff Grammer, and I am the primarily I'm the Lobo basketball writer at the Albuquerque Journal, and that's primarily what this podcast is about. We'll have some other topics here and there, but today we do go into the Lobo Hoops podcast realm once again, and I sit down with head coach Paul Weir. I wanted to talk to him a little bit about the month of July and recruiting in the month of July, which around college basketball circles has long sort of been recognized as the most intense and most important month of recruiting on the NCAA's recruiting calendar. You can bounce around the country, see hundreds of players at a time um, at AAU level tournaments and grassroots level tournaments. I shouldn't always refer to it as AAU. As certainly they're not all AAU tournaments, but Um, The point being, July is recognized as the most important recruiting month on the calendar, but I do ask, Paul, um, for Mountain West-level schools and for New Mexico in particular, is the month of July uh, as valuable as it used to be? Should the resources and time that um, get devoted on the recruiting calendar to July, is it really that important anymore for a team like New Mexico? If you look at Nevada, for instance, at the Mountain West level, they have a roster almost, not entirely, but almost entirely comprised now of Division I transfers. You're not recruiting Division I transfers in July. Now, you might start building relationships, and for the relationship-building portion of recruiting, um, that's still important, but you are, you're not recruiting junior college players, and you're not recruiting... Um, Division one transfers and you're not really recruiting international players for the most part during the month of July. And if you look at UNM's roster right now, yeah, there's a couple more traditional recruits that came from the high school ranks. Anthony Mathis and Dane Kuyper, for instance, are going to be senior leaders on this coming season's team. And they're from the high school ranks. They've been here from the previous, obviously recruited by the previous staff under Craig Neal. But um, the rest of this roster is primarily international guys like last year's freshman uh, McWatch Malwatch from Australia. You got Vladimir Pinchuk, who's from Germany. They, while they were freshmen on the team last year, they certainly weren't recruited because of the July AAU circuit. Um, they might have been recruited over the summer, but not in really the traditional sense of what that July month of recruiting is. And the rest of the roster is pretty much Division One transfers and some junior college transfers. And while it's all based on relationships, it just isn't really what the traditional recruiting in July usually is. I talked to Paul about that. I also talked to Paul about what the philosophy basically is for July for Lobo basketball staff. How many players they go into July wanting to make sure they see at least once. Some players, you know, you got to see five, six, seven times just to kind of show your commitment. And how many players do you not even have on your recruiting board going into July that by the end of the month, because you they caught your eye during a game while you're there to watch somebody else, somebody catches your eye, you end up recruiting him, you might end up landing him in the recruiting cycle at some point. So talk about all those kind of things. We, we hit on a couple other topics, but primarily it is about recruiting. And Paul Weir knows that recruiting remains kind of the lifeblood of college basketball, but it is a changing world of of recruiting so we talk about some of his past hits and misses through the years as an assistant he does have a sign in his room in his coaching room and this is where we did the interview we did the interview first of all tuesday july 31st and as i post this podcast this is going to be on uh thursday now august 2nd but in his coach's room he has a sign above the board with all the recruits um that they're targeting he has a sign that says coach this team and it's sort of a reminder to himself more than anything 
that while recruiting might be the lifeblood and all his assistants need to go out and recruit as much as they can, and he certainly does plenty of recruiting himself as well, he has 13 scholarship guys that have already committed to UNM that are already in Albuquerque working towards next season, and he has to make sure he's there for them as much as anything. While the relationship building with AAU or high school coaches and the families and the players might take a little bit of a step back once you become a head coach so you can spend your time and resources or time and energy um, coaching the team you have, he does still have his assistants. He knows they are still doing their job, but uh, coaching his team is, is big in his mind, and he reminds himself of it daily to coach the team he has. So we talk about that as well. Um, I do want to mention on a, on a side note, not specific to this episode, but um, we are now on iTunes. The Talking Grammar podcast is is up and running. You can subscribe. And once you do so, every time we post a new podcast, it'll automatically download on your device, whatever, you, however you listen to your iTunes podcasting. And um, I would appreciate some ratings there. I would uh, hopefully some some good ratings, but any feedback you give is always appreciated. And you can still listen to us on SoundCloud, which is where a lot of the podcasts in the past have been. And on the journal's website, we have a landing page that has all the podcasts there too. But we are now up and running on iTunes, which is a big deal for us. And and I appreciate the guys at the journal that uh, put that together for us. If you're interested in, in advertising and opportunities and stuff like that for the podcast, certainly reach out to me. Uh, you can give me feedback on the podcast, or if you are interested in advertising, shoot me an email ggrammar at abqjournal.com I will forward your email um, to the right people on the ad department and let them know that you're interested in being a part of this as well so again here we go this is Paul Weir and I we sat down on Tuesday to talk about recruiting and Lobo basketball in the month of July so hope you enjoy it I kind of wanted to talk to you about the recruiting period and that month of July is I think in a lot of people's minds that's the big month that's the the heaviest recruiting month but I kind of have some questions about it um, what do you do in the month of July? Kind of what it's about, but also is it a little overrated? I mean, to recruiting is a year round thing. I don't know how much good evaluation gets done in July. And so those kind of things I want to talk to you about, but first of all, it's kind of macro kind of big picture. How was July? How was recruiting for Lobo basketball? I thought it went really well. It was obviously much different than last July. Last July, we were really either here trying to host recruits and get our roster um, finished up, or we were trying to go out and watch kids that were literally still available in this year's class. And we were just trying to kind of finish up the roster to get ready for last season. So there was no watching future kids and kind of getting ahead of the game and stuff like that. It was just kind of getting caught up. So this summer was obviously drastically different, um, looking not only at kids in the 2019 class, but the 2020 class and beyond. And I just think we just have our arms wrapped around this whole thing a lot better. So just for me, for all of us, it was just a, I don't want to say a less stressful July because July is stressful, at least physically it's taxing. But mentally, there was, we were just sharper. We were more organized, you know, more detail in our approach. And I think it was, uh, in the whole, more, more productive. How, I guess, we can go a lot of different ways here. I just want to go logistically right yep. now. What is a week in July like? You can go out on a Wednesday, come back on a Sunday, basically. Yep. So, I mean, just logistically, what is a, a, a typical July week for you as a head coach, and then also for your assistants, and, and you spent plenty of time doing that as well. Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much through May and June, you're calling, watching as much film as you can, 
um, doing whatever you can to kind of prepare yourself for July as a whole, but then particularly that first weekend. Well, that's how we do it. You know, I'm sure a lot of other programs will, will approach July in their own way. But what we really did was, you know, take May, take June. Uh, we had an elite camp, you know, some different things and kind of come up and identify like an overall board. You know, that, that's our board right yeah. there. Uh, it, it, at one point, it probably had between 60 and 70 names on there at various positions. You have next year's depth chart on the board, and you're kind of looking through what do we need, how are we going to fill it, um, who do we like, who have we seen, who do we need to see, and kind of, you know, from there. So there's three weekends in July from, from Wednesday to Sunday on, on three successive kind of weeks, and we really kind of went into that first one in particular saying, okay, like who do we have to see that first weekend? Who has to see us that we're there? Yeah. And then who do we have to see ourselves to evaluate to either keep on the board or take off the board and things like that? So that's where all of us as a group are, are trying to check as many of those boxes as we can. You know, we have player A, which would be Jeff Grammer, and he's our number one priority, and we want to make sure that he knows we're there and that we're watching him. And even if he doesn't play well, it's not the end of the world to us because we know we want him anyways. You know, player B, it might be Paul Weir. And, you know, Jerome and Harry think he's the greatest player ever, and, and Brandon's unsure, and I'm unsure. So, you know, we want to make sure we get someone in front of Paul Weir to kind of see, are we going to kind of continue to recruit him? And then player C is um, Chris Harriman, and he's a player that he likes, that no one else really likes, but hey, let's go watch him one last time just to make sure, you know, if, if there's a way we would kind of recruit him going forward. Well, and, and go ahead. Well, what is the percentage then breakdown going into July of guys you end up recruiting that you were targeting going into July mm -hmm. and what percentage of it is sort of that was the first experience or exposure yep. you ever had to this player because that's sort of what's coming up now with with the changes some were announced just today um when are you guys going to see these players if not kind of during the July recruiting period exactly so those are some of the changes going on I'm curious how often you in July find somebody you weren't targeting at all a lot um, a lot. I would say now we're down to about 40 on that board, and I'd say probably 20 to 25 um, we had not seen. Uh, and, and two or three of them I really like, and you went to a game to watch Jeff Grammer, and you walked out of there going, wow, that Randy Harrison, he's really good. And what's the latest with him? And let's find out. And that's the, the, the flip side to July is not just you, it's the other side of it. So you went into July saying, you know, hey, we really want to get Randy Harrison. We love him to death. He's the greatest player ever. And he's in your wheelhouse. And after the first weekend in July, you know, Duke and North Carolina offered, sure. you know, and you've got to start to figure out, okay, do we stay in this? Do we not stay in this? Do we move on to the next guy? Um, you know, and, and the other side of that is what you're also trying to communicate and get as much information as you can, especially as July goes on. So you've done the first weekend and you have some tentative plans for the second week, but now you've got to kind of reassess on Monday. Okay. How did those kids do? Yeah. And can we still get this kid or can we not get this kid? And what's the recruiting going to be like? Do we need to work harder now on this kid who we used to think was going to be a really easy one? But now all of a sudden the entire Mountain West and lower level Pac-12 are recruiting. We're going to have to really dive back in on this kid. Or, hey, we really like this kid. No one else really likes him. He didn't play very well. We still like him. But maybe we don't have to spend as much time on it as we did going forward. And just that chess match of you, them, other schools, and that kind of plays itself out over the rest of the summer. So several of us changed our travel plans. And, you okay. know, they were going to go here, but now they're going to go there. Like midweek, I mean, mid-trip? 
Sometimes? Usually, no. Toward the end of that first weekend, we'd sit down and reevaluate on or Monday two or Tuesday. Beyond. or when, you know, okay. We're leaving Wednesday, but like, hey, should we switch up where this person goes or where that person goes? This person, maybe they're not on our board now for whatever reason. Maybe they played terribly or we found out some things about them we didn't like or whatever. Their, sure. their, their coach said, hey, coach, you're wasting your time, whatever it may be. And then, you know, so-and-so came back and, hey, I didn't know who this guy was. This Randy Harrison, he's really good. Let's do our background research. You start on the Sunday, the Monday, the Tuesday, and by Wednesday, like, hey, you know what? Maybe we have a shot at this kid. Let's let's go follow him a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you're just kind of going down these different avenues over the course of July, and it's it's a really fluid process. You have to have a lot of confidence, I would think, as a recruiter and as a coach and in your ability to, to um, I guess, assess a kid to see them in July just bomb and have a horrible month of July and tell yourself, we still want this kid. For sure. Because um, July, first of all, for, for a lot of different reasons, isn't always the most ideal basketball. It's not bad basketball. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not on the, yep, the, I understand. the bandwagon of and you know, bashing AAU. Yeah. I think it is yeah. good basketball for the most part, but it isn't always ideal. Sometimes there are, you know, it's it's all tournament settings kind yeah. of, and um, that that isn't always the best way to evaluate talent. So they could be, if they're a bad July player, um, how do you know? And I guess at what point in your career, maybe you're not feeling you're there yet, but maybe at what point in your career did you feel? confident enough to be able to watch a kid play horribly and know that he's still who you want. Yeah, I think if you've spent enough time watching him prior to that, then you'll feel good about it, you know, and it doesn't happen a lot here um, just because of where we're at geographically. But if you're Oklahoma and you're in Dallas every weekend watching high school games and high school tournaments and you've watched... Je- I keep saying Jeff and Randy, but Jeff play 15 times, sure. and Jeff's been to your campus, and he's he's worked out with your players, and you've been to the gym or you've been to the house and met the parents, and you have a good vibe, and you know going into the tournament, hey, you know what? He was hurt for the last three weeks, and he hasn't touched the basketball, and you know all that, and he doesn't play very well. You think you know what? I've seen this kid a hundred times. Yeah. I- he hasn't touched the ball in three weeks because he hurt his wrist, and I'm I'm good on that. There, there's so many other variables that enter into that. But if you haven't seen much, and I'm looking at a sheet of paper, and Chris Harriman says, hey, I really love this kid. No one else really likes him, but I think you should really take a look at him, coach. And I walk into the gym, and I'm texting at halftime going, this kid is just not going to be yeah. what we want. You know, it's it's really easy to cut the cord and move on because you just haven't invested that amount sure. of time. And it just happened to be one coach who already is is a little bit out there saying tougher to do that when it's the whole staff though exactly right if all three are like coach you're nuts this kid is a no-brainer for us you got to like him you know and i'm like "Ah, i don't know then you know those are things you kind of take into consideration how many guys on your current roster right now um don't necessarily need names unless you they come to mind real quick but how, how many like what percentage of a roster is a guy you targeted well before july recruited throughout july um, what people think of as the recruiting mm-hmm. process is you, you target a guy, you go see him as much as you can yeah. in July, and then he commits to you, which which is not very not the entire recruiting process. Yeah. In fact, it's probably not even the majority anymore. But what percentage of a roster of uh, 13 scholarship players is going to be the guys you target ahead of July, and it works out just the way you want it to? Yeah, I would say if you're recruiting high school freshmen, mm-hmm. and that's your predominant way of recruiting, a Duke, you know, a Villanova, sure. a North, you know, a North Carolina, a Kentucky, you know, a lot of those schools. That's it for them. They go out in July. They 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 pick who they want, or they're, or they're in a, a war. They go get Marvin amongst, Bagley. Exactly right, and that's what you do. And then you visit them in the fall, and and everything's kind of done. You know, we're probably a little more non-traditional than that, and that we're doing with junior college players, we're doing with transfers. 
Um, we're dealing with kind of other types of players that don't always directly come from July. So when you look at our roster right now, obviously there's not, not a lot that comes from July. You know, yeah. Drew Drennan was one of those probably naturally recruited guys. You saw him, you watched him, you recruited him. He signed in the fall. You know, things kind of went from there. The, the local kids that we did get commitments from, Jordan and Anthony, yeah. that was the intent there too. Watched them, watched them last summer, went to them in the fall, did our thing, you know, got them done. So that happens and, and will still continue to happen. I'm hopeful that as our program grows, We'll be doing more of that, you know, like we did. Wait, we did that this summer, whereas last summer we didn't really do any sure. of it. So hopefully this fall we'll be able to sign one, two, or three kids that we've tracked all spring, all summer. Visit them in the fall, do home visits, do school visits, and then in the early signing period, they they feel comfortable enough, and we feel comfortable enough for them to come here. With that said, then um, is this level. Um, Mountain West basketball, even the top teams, you guys might be on the fringe of certainly not a Power Five conference necessarily, but right on the fringe yep. of it. You guys want to be that very next tier if you can be. Is it worth devoting so much time and energy to July if that's not what your roster is going to end up being like? I mean, Nevada is obviously yep. a great example of of a roster that really wasn't made in July, I wouldn't yep. think, for the most part. It's an excellent question and probably one that all coaches grapple with to one extent or another. How much do we really want to put into July? A, it's an enormous financial um, expenditure, and you have to wonder how much of that is really worth it um, based on what you're going to get in return. You know, last summer, like I said, we didn't do a ton of it because we were so busy bringing kids to campus and keeping kids and and or following just one or two, hey, this kid might be coming out in this year's class or he has the opportunity to classify up. Let's go watch him specifically and come back. Whereas this year we went into it saying, hey, like, let's really, let's look at all these kids and let's watch them. So I think based on how this materializes for us here will dictate maybe how much we do of it going forward. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this past year was very transfer heavy sure. going, going into this past year. This year, you know, we added Zane and we'll kind of see where it goes from here. But I, at the end of the day, we're just trying to find the best players we can, however we can get them. What happens with transfer rules? What happens with July recruiting periods? Like what happens all that? I can't always control. Well, the junior college and transfer market isn't exactly one that has a calendar quite like this traditional Agreed. recruiting period. So Agreed. that makes it at least you can kind of set your clock to the July recruiting period for that part of it. Even if it's not a big part of your recruiting cycle, you don't know if transfers are looking to land their spot in April exactly or right, right now in July and August. Exactly um, right. But I will say that even now, as we're watching player A, B, and C, those could be the same A, B, and C that are transferring 12 months the, from now. The kind and of bounce back exactly. or boomerang. And, some, and mean, that's no doubt behind a player we had to campus last fall, and I'm sure one's in the future. Hey, we don't know if we can get them, yeah. but we've spent time with them, we've invested in them, and then if their situation ever changes, that we'd be you know kind of first in line. All right, I want to go back to one quick thing you said. You have about 40 on the board right now. Mm-hmm. Um are you, a, a, from a head coaching standpoint, are, do you prefer your staff to to keep that kind of maybe a smaller number, have it at about, I don't know, be it 20 or 30, and you're targeting a smaller group and spending more time on that group? For sure. Or, you know, some staffs, I imagine, have a, 100 that yeah. they're targeting and tracking yeah. at a time. I mean, what's the, every staff probably has a different sweet spot depending on their yeah. staff strengths, but what, what number is the sweet I spot? I think it changes over the course of the year. I think like right now that number's beginning smaller and smaller and smaller for the 2019 class. Yeah. So I think like even in our 2020 class, it's a huge number. You know, we've all seen different kids here and there. But then as you start to look at team needs, you know, that shrinks. As you start to watch guys and, and basically take guys off the list, that shrinks. 
So like I said, now it's 40. You know, before July started, it was probably 80. You know, in the spring, it was probably 100. As you're really looking at the 2019 class and all the different guys you're looking at. And then, you know, you have a summer here and you start to look at the players you currently have. And, hey, like, how do you see this player projecting, that sure. player projecting, who would fit what need? Um, you know, did, did you bring so-and-so in to be a really good shooter? And maybe he's not the shooter you thought he was or so-and-so to be a great whatever, you know. And so you're, you're constantly kind of going back and forth between those two as it's 40 now. I'm sure in the next month that'll that'll shrink even more beyond there. Of the 40, I'd say there's probably five that we know are we're probably on the outside looking in. They're, they're higher level guys that we're swinging on that we'd love to get, but we know it's going to be really difficult. They've got some power five level schools that you know they want, and then there's probably 10 that we could get tomorrow. If we called and said, hey, Jeff, we want to sure. get this done. It's time for you to come here. They would say, where do I sign, coach? I'm ready to come. So you know, we know those people at the top and bottom end of the spectrums are, are there. It's that middle area where we're trying to find some really good value. And if any of those are ready to pop, are we willing to do it? And kind of how will that play out from there? I know you haven't necessarily been in everybody's um, office like yeah. this, but how big can a recruiting board get at, at some schools? I mean, do you think it, it's over 100 in some places? I mean, I'm sure it is. I think it would depend on the on the coach, sure. you know, uh, particularly. I'm sure assistant coaches recruiting boards can get enormous because yeah. you're just writing down every name you've seen. And for assistants, I mean, you're sometimes – I mean, I guess you approach it differently depending on who you are, but you, you may get kind of um, a little crazy about it because you – Assistants sometimes are all dependent. Their success is dependent on finding that yeah, person. For sure. So maybe that grows. No, to and if you walk names. into to Jerome's office right now, Brandon's office right now, Chris's office right now, they've got hun- you know not hundreds, but a lot sure. of names on the board. And then when we come and sit down, it's probably my job to like really prioritize yeah. those because you know you're going to think you're 20 or the greatest 20 on the board, and so is everybody. And if you have 10 point guards and you have 10 point guards and you have 10 point guards we got to figure out the five or six we're really going to recruit. We're not going to recruit 30 point guards. So that's probably where I come in, trying to sift through each assistant's names and biases and whatever else that come into it, and then try and kind of organize like a really mature discussion on these kinds of things. As far as recruiting goes, there's just an eye for talent. Obviously, somebody has to be able to identify if a kid can play or not. Um, there are some assistant coaches that just kill it in July. Yep. There are some assistant coaches that might be the year-round kind of recruiter For sure. and really kill it. Um, everybody has their strengths. I'm curious, what was your strength? And um, you're a head coach now, but obviously you never stop recruiting, even as a, even as a head coach. What would you say your strengths um, were over the past decade or so as a recruiter, and and maybe what was the the one weakness that you you identified and you know, are willing to acknowledge maybe a little bit along those lines. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I would say as an assistant coach, me, and I feel the same way about the assistants I have now, you know, you have the time to develop, like, good relationships with, with the young men and with their families. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and would I love to sit here and say I do a great job of that and that's something I do all the time? I don't. Sure. You know what I mean? I have so many other things. I, above my recruiting board, as you can see, is a sign that I said is coach this team. And that's to remind myself that as much as I start to go down the road of recruiting, don't ever forget the guys you currently have. And I tell that to all the recruits that come in. I may not have spent as much time with you or on you as maybe this coach or that program do, but just so you know, that's because I give everything I have to these current guys. And I don't want – I love recruiting, and I think it's a huge part of what we do, but I'm never going to get away from coaching the team I have and investing in the current players that we have. 
I said at the last press conference, you know, coaches go out from Wednesday to Sunday, and I never went out on Wednesdays. I stayed home. I had a team practice with the players. I hung out with them. I spent time with them. I was on the floor with them, and I would always go out on Thursdays. And I just felt leaving Wednesday to Sunday, for me, I was just being irresponsible as a head coach. Now, maybe that's not irresponsible, but that's just the way that I felt. So I didn't really, I never kind of go past that line. But as an assistant coach, you have more flexibility. You have that time. You don't have the other responsibilities maybe a head coach has. And I made those guys. I go, go out Wednesdays. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't, I don't want to see you here. Go out, get to know those kids, watch them play with them, you know, or not play with them, but watch them play and, and kind of be around them. And I felt as an assistant, I had those same, those same strengths. I really enjoyed, I have a lot of great relationships I have just in my life from people that I recruited, got to know them in the process. Maybe they never even came to play for me. Sure. But you get these great relationships. I get to know Jeff because your son is a, is a great player. And one out of every five times, you meet a really cool person, and they yeah. think you're a cool person, and you stay in touch, and you care about each other, and you know want to follow each other, and things like that. Well, so. that that kind of brings us into um, something else I want to ask you about. That's more the relationship building is a year-round thing. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a dinner, sometimes it's yeah, you know, in spring, whatever. Um, but as far as the July kind of um, relationship building goes, and just the scene for those that aren't there, when you're in a gym. Um, what do you think of the setup of basically you have a whole bunch of these coaches wearing, wearing their you know sure. Lobo Polo shirt, their yeah. their team gear just to make sure they're being seen. Um, you guys don't have contact at those games with the players. Mm-hmm. Correct me if I'm wrong Agreed. on any yep, of this. Right. Um, and and it's really just to make sure you're being seen. Like I'm I'm curious yeah, what point. you think of the no, scene there, itself. There is there is a part of that that is um, you know we talk about in here all the time. There's a part of that, like a, like a showmanship to yeah. it, that I don't think anybody really likes. You know, there are obviously, you know, players, and you'll hear about it. And we didn't do it this summer, but we talked about it, where the whole staff's going to go to a game, yeah. you know, and sit front row, and ever, it's just so you can show that player or that program, like, hey, we're all here. You and know, that's that's nothing you. more than a show, though, right? I mean, that's not five people for the evaluating. most part. It pro- exactly right. For the most part, it is. But you're also showing your. Commitment, you know. Hey, we're not going to the other games. You know, we're not spreading ourselves out. We're coming here to. And show some kids people. probably don't give, like, um, you know, uh, care about that in the slightest. Some kids probably they do. Of course they do. Though. Yeah, and and the coach does sure. in particular. You got coaches coming to watch your team, Parents, and that's something that you can kind of sell to future players. And yeah. you know, coaches get get into that. You know, um, coming to the games and things like that. So there there is there's a whole kind of. Um, Hollywood's the wrong word, but like but dance. The go- yeah. Yes, th- there is. Th- there's a part to that that definitely is going on. I'll be honest with you, I don't, that's just not something we do a ton of time on because I personally, I don't, I would not want a player because of that. The way we play, right. what we're trying to be about, we're trying to find like grassroots kind of guys or kids that just really want to be a part of how we play or what we're about or a Lobo or whatever. So me, like, going above and beyond to try and seduce you in some way, I don't think is healthy. But that's just for us. You know what I'm saying? I, I you know, th- there's a lot of other coaches that do it ways and they're very successful and I'm not here to judge that or, or say that I'm better. That, that's just how we happen to do it. So we didn't do an all staff at a particular game, you know. There was a, a Twitter exchange recently with Steve Forbes who, mm-hmm. who actually applied for the job when you got it. Um, yeah. Don't you guys do you guys have the same agent? Or We do. You do have the same we agent. Yeah. Um, Steve Forbes at uh, he, uh, ETSU, ETSU, yeah. Tennessee State University, um, and Frank Martin. They were going back and forth on Twitter about um, the number of guys they actually put on top of their board for yeah. July and actually spent, 
you know, they mapped out their entire July. And they were yeah. at every game. They didn't miss a single game. The number of those guys they actually landed is actually pretty low. Yep. So when you make that guy your your target, um, they they found actually a really low success rate. Now I don't think it's because of the attention yep. they were showing, but it just shows that sometimes maybe those guys that you feel you have to put that level of attention to, they they might be the hardest to get because they are going for a variety of reasons and it might not have anything to do with your program or anything okay. like that. So, um, do you have uh, any stories like that where there was one guy through the years? Um, that you went to everything and you really wanted him and you actually thought you put enough effort in to get him and you just either missed on him or a guy that maybe you were a little surprised to get because you, you might not have given the effort and the attention to that you thought. Yeah, um, I know I followed Sim Bular an entire summer yeah. uh, with hopes of landing him and, and we got him and that was, uh, that was comforting. Well, what, um, so what does that mean though, followed him an entire summer? Uh, how many games would you say that was? Um... That was with that CIA bounce? Yep, yep. You, you know, you would have watched every game at their tournament, so, you know, four or five per tournament. So, you know, 10, 10 15 games over okay. the course of a summer. Yeah. And how much of that, you did that going in, so you had already evaluated him, mm-hmm. you'd already seen him play yep. plenty. Um, how much of those games that you went to, um, did you make sure, I mean, he, he probably knew you were there yeah, at yeah, all those games, yeah. but I mean, did you have to do anything at those games other you know, than just appear? You know, you could, yeah, but that's not really me, and maybe that should be more of me, but no, like, I'm, I'm a little more old school that way, at least to be able to look you in the eye and say, hey, I watched all your games, here's yeah. what I think about your game, here's where I think you can improve, against this team you did sure. this, against this team you did that, here's a very thorough analysis of what I think your game is, and how we're going to kind of make it better, that was probably more you know, like the genesis of why I was doing it, as opposed to like, let me stick my my sure. left shoulder, uh, chest out so that you can logo. see my logo or something. No, that really wasn't about it. Um, there, there's definitely been some players over the years like I've, I have or our program's gone all in on them. We just haven't gotten. Um, it hasn't happened here yet because we didn't really do that right. last summer. There's this is your first full recruit exactly. Recruiting there's obviously right some kids this summer. We've we've really put a lot of time into and gone to a lot of their games and all the different coaches have seen them and, and done that stuff and I'm sure we'll probably swing and miss on a few of them um, you know over the years gosh I'd like to think about um, a few that maybe we didn't get after following all July um, or is there just the maybe it wasn't even necessarily July but is there the, yeah. the miss you, you, you guys maybe could have had yeah. had you done better and, and missed on them or or not I mean I, I think one guy you may not even realize this, but it's a guy that I was able to follow because I was covering NMSU football at the time. Um, a guy from Rio Rancho named yeah. Chris Williams. He's a wide receiver yeah, football, we're talking. CFL. And, um, CFL right now and played in the NFL for a short time. And uh, he went down to NMSU. Yeah. He was uh, one guy that Rocky Long at San Diego State actually acknowledged after the fact. Yeah. I probably should have given him more time. Yeah. He was a local kid that was undersized, wasn't getting heavily recruited. He just sure. wasn't. Um, so Rocky kind of backed off a little bit and yeah. thought that oh, he's going to walk on with us eventually at the end of the recruiting cycle. Anyway, that didn't happen when Tendon missed you. Is there one of those guys that like you you thought you'd just end up getting at some point, so maybe you didn't put in really any well, effort, as I've been and thinking he ended up being pretty good? As I've been thinking about it, there was a kid we did follow all the year last summer, and we did think we were going to get, and he ended up committing to another school. Uh, it was George Condit. He went to Iowa State, yeah. and, and we... We invested a ton into him, yeah. you know, and, and watched all his games and, and did a home visit and brought him here for a recruiting visit. And that was one kid that, that you know, it, it did stink. You know, we, 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 we poured everything we could into that one. So I, I don't want to act like that didn't happen because it did. 
Um, as far as one of those, the one that always came to mind on the other side was when, when I wasn't there, obviously, for it, but watching Roman Martinez for four yeah. years. You know, I think everyone in New Mexico State was just like, you know, his granddad had played sure. there and was just like, how the heck did this kid get away? I, I think he, um, he's so identified among Lobo fans as just like kind of that Mr. Lobo kind of guy, yeah. and like everyone just loves him so much that I don't even know that a lot of Lobo fans understand, yeah. um, especially younger ones, understand he was supposed to be yes. Mr. Aggie. He, he was. was supposed to be the legacy at New Mexico yes. State um, because of his, his father. So Yeah, and um, that was one for sure that was like, Jesus, how did this one get away? And I'm not passing, ju- you know, I don't no, know what course, went yeah. into why... He did or didn't get recruited, but that was one for sure yeah. um, that kind of got away uh, just just in the school sure. I was at. Um, and, and I'm sure, I mean, other ones, you, it takes time to realize how much of a miss it was. Yeah. I mean, you don't, for sometimes sure. Sometimes you don't know it right away. So, um, how many tournaments did you go to this year? Whew. Um, I mean, it could be ballpark, but like how many games I'd on the tournaments? Say, uh, you know, Different tournaments, I'd probably say I went to six or seven yeah. over the course of the summer. But again, mine was a little lighter. I missed Wednesdays, and I would always come back first thing Sundays because we work out on Sundays as well, and I sure. wanted to be back for the close of it. And I felt like if I was there for the end of Sunday and I was still here Wednesday, I only missed kind of a few days with the guys. Right. So the assistant coaches went to, I mean, it could be close to 100. And their schedules, though, are... I mean, you're getting up to catch a flight maybe first thing in the morning. I mean, you're, you're talking yeah, 6 a.m. to midnight sure. a lot of days, it's, right? Yeah, especially, I mean, for me to come back, I was in Montreal this past weekend. I mean, I'm on a 6 a.m. flight in Montreal, which is 4 a.m. I mean, I'm getting up at 1 o'clock in the morning this time, yeah. you know, just to kind of work my way back. Um, it, it is. It, 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 it's, it's awful. You know, obviously, Skip Prosser. Uh, you know, passed away at one point. Anyone that's kind of read about it, you know, I don't know all the specific yeah. medically, but, you know, it was a lifestyle. It's July. It's fast food. It's no sleep. It's dehydrated. And unfortunately, it's just it's just not it's not not set up well uh, for the health and, and well-being of coaches. Now, some programs and some, you know, even in our league, you know, they have access to private planes. So, yeah. you know, they can get on a private plane and fly here or fly there. You know, us, you know, you're grabbing commercial flights. Albuquerque doesn't go direct everywhere you'd like to go. Right. So you're going from Albuquerque to somewhere to somewhere and then somewhere to somewhere and then somewhere back. And, and then you're getting two days later, you get home for a couple of days and you're right back out again. Well, so it's, it's a challenge. Do you enjoy it, though? I guess I haven't even asked that. I mean, do you enjoy it? You know, that moment you're in the gym watching kids, I think a lot of coaches enjoy it. I think okay. you like being able to sit there, evaluate, watch, compare uh, be there for a good game of like, you know, you've been watching so-and-so and now he's going up against another great player. Like, let's see how he does. Those are great. Everything that goes into that, the travel, the food, the sleep, um, that kind of stuff. I don't know if anybody really enjoys, you know, maybe when you first get into it, you're like, wow, this is kind of cool. Yeah. But as time kind of goes on, you're like, man, is this really worth it? What about your staff? Do they enjoy it? Uh, you probably have to ask them. Yeah. I think part of them do for sure. Yeah. I think they're all young enough still. You know, Brandon's only been in this will be yeah. the second year he's an assistant coach. Um, you know, Chris will tell you he didn't get a chance to do a ton of recruiting earlier. So, like, he's now out on the road, which is which is which I think is great for him and just getting him out there so he can watch a lot of guys. Um, and Jerome as well. He's only been an assistant coach for a few years. So they're young enough in their careers. I think they enjoy getting out, watching kids, getting involved in the recruiting component of things. Maybe as your career goes on, and I've been doing it for, like, a long time. And, you know, am I – Totally excited to get up and, you know, catch this flight to catch this flight to catch this flight to yeah. watch two games and then do the same thing the next day. Is it the best use of my time as the head coach of the Lobos? 
that's where you start to question things. That's where, I mean, that's why head coaches get paid the big bucks, I know. Yeah. You get to decide those things. All right, I'll wrap up here with a couple kind of quick ones. Um, the podcasting thing is something you and I have talked about, and you've been open to it from the start. The, you know, the lack of podcasting hasn't been um, because of you by any stretch. You've you've reached out to a lot of people. So you want to do this. You actually, um, it seems like you want the attention for your team. You do want this community to get to know this team. And, and uh, there were two things that I am certainly on this podcast, not going to be the one to, to, to be breaking these stories, but there are two recent stories that I actually wanted to ask you about. Um, Jessica Dyer, a colleague of mine covered a, a, a breakfast that you went to. And I loved the story of you talking about your dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that didn't see that story in the journal, um, your dad was an accordion player, not just a regular accordion mm-hmm. player. I mean, he was pretty good. Um, what was the story and what was the purpose of you telling that story in that forum of that, econo- that economic business forum? Gosh, we're getting, we're going emotional here. <laughs> was um, it an emotional thing? I mean, yeah, no, I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't, I never knew the story. Um, I was a high school coach. I was 23 years old, I believe. I finished up my degree. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my life, uh, but I loved coaching. And to be a basketball coach in Canada at the time was, I can't even come up with an equivalent, but it's not a very good career career to 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 go after. You well, maybe I mean? you do have a, an equivalent. Maybe um, that's what the story is a little. Maybe bit. so. So I just I've, I kept thinking, what do I want to do? How do I want to do it? I, I loved coaching. I got my degree, um, and then I eventually, through it all, kind of decided I want to be a high school basketball coach. That that was kind of the goal. And I, I was working at a high school that I loved dearly. The principal was terrific. The vice principal was terrific. Rob Ford was my football was coach. The football you know, coach. It, it was fun. Yeah. I had a blast. And they said, Paul. Go get your teacher certificate. Come back and work here. And I thought, you know what? This will be really, really cool. And uh, to do it, I really wanted to go to the States. And I wanted to go and, and I wanted to try um, to, to basically go down to the U.S. and do grad school and learn 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 coaching and, and do all that and, and pursue the field in general. And uh, that was kind of, you know, when I told my parents, hey, I think I'm going to do I'm going to get in a car and I'm going to drive. 20 whatever hours it is down to some little town in the middle of Louisiana. They have a graduate assistantship, and it's the only school in the country that got back to me and said, we have a full graduate assistantship. (laughs) So there was a lot of other schools closer to home here and there, but it just wasn't the same setup. And, uh, you know, I said, I know I'm crazy, and and I know you might not approve, but I'd really like to do it, you know. And um, so basically at the time, you know, my dad was like, hey, you know, I I went through – high school and then grew up and there's a very long story to yeah. this but I won't I won't bore you with it but love play the accordion absolutely loved it got himself through school um and basically because he was a farmer you know used to play in the back of a truck all day when they were selling stuff at the farmer's market etc and got tips what kind of farming got really good uh, I think it was just a little bit of everything okay. I know they did strawberries and tomatoes and apples and all those kinds of but things. they'd hit so, the farmer's market and sell their goods exactly kind of and, and he would just okay. sit in the back and play his accordion and get tips and you know just enjoyed it uh, but it was a hobby especially to his dad who was an immigrant uh yeah. you know from the Ukraine so um you know, uh, got really good though and started sneaking out of the house and playing some different places and doing some things and just loved playing the accordion. And at one point, an uncle, I believe, or, or someone, you know, took him down to New York City for a weekend and said, Hey, like, let's take you down to some of these big places yeah. and let's, let's have you play. And he went down and was very successful and did a good job. And then an agent kind of said, Hey, like, you should come do this full time. And he said, No, I can't. You know, my dad doesn't think this is like a real yeah. career path. You and, know, and certainly didn't know he was there. Wants me to go to school. Exactly. And uh, however many weeks later, um, a, the agent shows up at his house, you know, in Canada and says, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm here to talk to your son. I really want him to come play. I know you're against it. Whatever, whatever, whatever. 
and my dad's dad, uh, who I unfortunately never met. He passed away before I was born. But um, dad's dad went and got a rifle and came back and said, my son's going to college. He's not chasing some stupid dream. So, yeah. you know, he's going to college. and That's the way it's going to be. And my dad told me that story and basically said, you know, I'm not going to do to you what my dad did to me. If that's your dream and that's what you want to do, go do it. Just don't come back. Get in the car and do like just don't come back. And uh, that's it's certainly not a like don't come back because you're not welcome. But exactly. Don't come back because yeah. if you're going to go do it, go do this thing. Don't 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 come back. Don't you need to go try and go do this kind of thing. And that's that was kind of the the, the gist of that story. And there's a lot of other details sure, and a lot of sure, other sure, parts sure. of it, but that's kind of the. The breakdown. That's pretty cool. Um, the other story I wanted to ask you real quickly about is I knew that you guys were doing the books. I knew you gave players books. Um, listening to Aaron's uh, podcast with you uh, about a month ago now, or, or sometime in the past month, um, the library in the in the locker room, and this is sort of a, I'm around it so much. Sometimes I maybe don't even realize what's going on as I'm mm-hmm. covering you guys. I didn't realize you guys actually had a library. We um, just did that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it is yeah, new. It was April. Uh, right oh, okay. in the season. Yeah. I uh, we have a, a little fundraising group as that's part of our. Uh, program is called the sixth man club and it was just something i really wanted to do and i kind of emailed everyone say hey guys i'm trying to put a little library whatever we're talking shelves a, a thing whatever i don't know how much it'll cost us and some people kindly donated and we were able to put together a nice little library some shelves all countertop the whole deal and then after that i said hey well now we got to fill the library yeah. so i'm going to throw some books in there but and then people just started sending in boxes of books so we got a nice little library going in there i i I will. I've given obviously plenty of books to our players. Well, that I remember. Yeah, to kind of stress. Hey, man, just take a book, leave a book, like it is anywhere else. And and, and sometimes a, to touch a specific chord or to. I mean, you're you're going for a specific anything. message in yeah, the book, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, with with those ones for sure. So when like you would Jeff, give a player yeah, a book, here's yeah. a book on podcasting. Sure. You know what I mean? Like maybe you'll get something out of it. So I did a lot of that. But hey, just leaving it there. And maybe one day you walk by and you've never read it, and you look over and you see something, and you're bored, and you got an hour before practice. And maybe you'll sit down and crack one open. You know that—that's the hope. Um, is it working? You have to ask them. Yeah. Uh, they tell me they read. You know, they tell me to do things, but I don't know for sure. I, I know a lot of the books I give. I ask about follow-ups. I'll coach. I'm going to get to. It, I'm going to get to. Yeah. It. I mean, you know, unfortunately, you know, it, it's a little bit of a different, you know, world trying to compete with all the other things of they course. have in their lives right now with. Phones and, and Fortnite yeah. and all these other things. Whereas, you know, when I was younger, life was simple. You listen to the radio. You know what I mean? Like it was just, it, it was just a little different. And have any of them recommended to you or anybody on the staff a book? They have. Yeah. Okay. Joe gave me some books. Uh, Dane Kuiper gave me some books. Okay. Uh, yeah. No, it, it's been good. I, I, I probably can't get to all of them and I'm okay with that. Just trying to maybe nudge as few of them as I can. You know, even Jerome had talked about like he never liked reading. He didn't really get into reading until he started playing professionally overseas and literally had nothing to do you know and like so we you know we all find reading at different points in our life and even if now i'm just giving them subliminal subconscious meanings and messages that they kick in later i can live with that too you know but i i had a passion for it still love to do it as often as i can and and it's something that if if anything that they ever take from me whether we ever win or we lose here or whether i'm a good or a bad coach i don't know but if however many years from now they're sitting somewhere teaching their kid or their grandkid how to read, and I was the one that started that, then, then, I, then I did my job as a coach. All right, as we record this, today's the renewal deadline for season tickets. So um, this, by the time people hear this, it will be after the deadline. That doesn't mean you can't still renew your yep. ticket. Just this means yep. your tickets are now in jeopardy of yeah. somebody else can swoop exactly. in and get those seats. Um, I'm letting you go after this one. Season tickets, uh, you guys do have 600-plus new ones. What would you – 
what, what pitch would you make to those who maybe missed their renewal deadline or are still thinking about buying season tickets for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing, especially when I got here, and obviously even now, you know, athletics is in the news a lot, and it's controversial, and there's been a lot of change, and change is hard for people, and even me, what was hard for some people. So I know why people sat on the sidelines, or I know where people were kind of undecided about me, and maybe even now they're undecided about us for other reasons, and, and I totally respect those. I'm not here to judge people or, or force their hand. I just ask them for them to give us a chance. You know, and I do feel as though Lobo basketball is something special. I think it can be something special in the pit. And I'm hopeful that people commit to that, even if they have other issues, even if they have other concerns, even if they have other frustrations, please don't take it out on, on our, on our team or on, on what Lobo basketball and the pit can come to represent. And then if you do have those issues with me, please reach out. You know, I called many people back last year that, that would send an email saying this was their problem and this was what it was at. And I feel confident that we were able to turn a lot of those people around. And, and if you have something that maybe you've heard about or read about or don't like, communicate them to me in whatever way you want, and I will do my best to, to respond to those. And if you still don't like us after that point, then that's okay. But just at least give us a chance, you know, and, and allow Lobo basketball to maybe be something positive for our community. You guys have a chance to be good. I know, uh, Going into a season without expectations, yeah, and going into a season with expectations, uh, things can change pretty quickly. If uh, you know, if you guys had the same start this year, I think a lot of people might be upset. But that's for sure. That's part of the territory when you come in with expectations. So, um, Paul, I appreciate it. This is something maybe monthly or so. Um, awesome. I'd like to maybe kind of catch up with you a little more than just the press conference setting. I know once the season gets here, that might be a little different. But I appreciate it. I love it. Thanks for having All me, right. man. Thanks, Paul. Okay. All right, there you go. I appreciate the time with Paul Weir talking a little bit about recruiting. Uh, for those that don't know, I, I don't know why you're 45 minutes into a podcast about college basketball and don't know this, but in case you don't, coaches cannot talk about specific recruits, specific players, until they sign their national letter of letters of intent with a program. They cannot do that until the early signing period in November of their senior year. So when you're talking about this July recruiting period of all these high school level players, and younger um, coaches can certainly go talk with them, recruit them, all that kind of stuff. They can't talk with the media about specific players until their senior year. So that's why we kept it broad and, and kind of general about philosoph philosophies and just sort of how he approaches recruiting as opposed to talking about specific players. Um, I thought it was a cool little story that I wanted to share with those listeners on the podcast about his dad and how that kind of launched uh, his father's experiences, sort of launched Paul down this path of college coaching and how, how that helped him. I also listened to Aaron Torres' podcast where he had Paul Paul Weir as a, as a guest last month on, and, and I did not know. I covered the team. I did not know they formally set up a library until I heard that on the podcast. I knew, obviously, and, and talked about it last year about the book exchange and him frequently encouraging players to read and giving them books sometimes. Um, did not realize he actually had set up formally a little formally, a little more formally anyway, a, a library in the locker room. So that was pretty cool. I'm glad he shared that story with us. From a non-basketball kind of perspective right now, I do want to give a shout out to some colleagues at the Journal right now um, for some coverage this week. Huge sports weeks in, sports week in New Mexico when one of the state's own, Lovington's own, Brian Erlacher, is being inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame this week. So that's a big deal, and the Journal's been just knocking it out of the park this week with some coverage. I've had nothing to do with it. My colleagues have been killing it, and the multi-part series 
chronicling the career of Brian Urlacher as he gets inducted to the Pro Football Hall of Fame has been great. James Yotis kind of covering the uh, the high school years at Lovington in a piece that was in yesterday's journal. Steve Virgin, the new beat writer covering Lobo football for the journal, had a little bit more on Brian's Lobo days. And then uh, I know Bob Christ has a piece coming out soon about some people with some pro ties to New Mexico and their thoughts on Brian's professional career and uh, coverage throughout the weekend as well, obviously, going until um, Brian is actually officially putting that gold jacket on and inducted over the weekend to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. So great work by my colleagues. You should take a look. It's been in the print edition of the journal and online. It's still all up there. All the content's been great. The photos have been great. The stories have been great. And it's abqjournal.com slash sports. On the website, you could also find the Talking Grammar podcast page where you can get every podcast that we've done so far with the Talking Grammar um, series and you can also get us on SoundCloud. And as I mentioned earlier, we're now on iTunes, which is sort of a big deal for for this podcast. You can subscribe, and now anytime new podcasts come up, it automatically downloads to your phone. I'd appreciate it if you did that if you're interested. Um, while you're there, why don't you give us a rating? Uh, obviously, the five-star rating is, is what I would hope you would do, but I want you to be honest, too. The feedback helps more than, than anything, so let us know what you think. Um, you can reach out to me, email ggrammar at abqjournal.com. I'm always on social media as well, at Jeff Grammar on Twitter's the the place I'm at most of the time. So let me know what you think. Appreciate you listening. Should do this about once a week and uh, look forward to hearing you uh, next week or look forward to sharing with you next week, episode 12 of the Talking Grammar podcast. Until then, thanks guys.